Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment, tax, or legal advice, or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management LLC may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Well, today's been an interesting day. Stocks moved lower last week as recession fears deepened following a Fed hike in interest rates and weak economic data. That's the headline. The Fed rate hike triggers a market dip. The Dow uh, Jones fell 4.79%, while the S&P 500 dropped 5.79% last week. The NASDAQ index slipped 4.78% for the week. The MSCI EFA index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, slumped 4.51%. Looks like the Dow is down for the year 17.75%. NASDAQ's down 30.98%. The EFA index, international markets down 20.93%. And the S&P 500 is down 22.90%. And uh, that's source data from Wall Street Journal and the various other sources. So basically, stocks were under pressure all week due to inflation worries, higher yields, and rising recession concerns. In advance of the much-awaited midweek meeting with the FOMC, bond yields jumped. Stocks retreated on speculation that the Fed might raise rates by 75 basis points when the Fed announced a 75 basis points hike on Wednesday. Stocks rebounded strongly. The enthusiasm was short-lived. Stocks resumed their slide on Thursday as global central banks followed with their own rate hikes. Recession fears grew based on weak housing starts. Uh, The housing reports came in very weak and a contraction in the Philadelphia Fed Business Index was the the first contraction since May of 2020. So I had some feedback from a client who says, what are basis points? It's a percentage of 1%. Um, So it's just converted to points to make it easier to say instead of uh, four tenths of one percent, or five tenths of one percent, or seventy-five uh, tenths of one percent. So basically, uh, a basis point is less uh, than one percent of the way I'm using it. Um, technically, you could have one hundred and fifty basis points, which is one point five zero percent. Um, so that would be above one percent, as an example. So some people like to use the word "handle" as jargon. Basis point. And then most people are most familiar with uh, percentages. So uh, just as an educational bit, I might use basis point, a handle I'll try to stay away from because I don't like it. Um, So you'll hear me talk about percentages and basis points. Um, So let's keep going here. The Fed rate hike. Uh, The Fed Reserve announced, obviously, we talked about it, 75 basis points in the Fed funds rate, making it the biggest rate increase since 1994 and signaling its commitment to address inflation. 
The report from last week's FOMC meeting also indicated new rate projections showing that all members expect rates to rise at least uh, 3% by year end or 300 basis points, <laughs> with half the members expecting rates to rise to 3.375%. The 75 basis point rate increase was a late developing change from earlier Fed guidance of 50 basis point increase. The change of hard was uh, in response to recent inflation data and rising uh, inflationary expectations. So uh, this week, we already had existing home sales on Tuesday, and that was week. Thursday, which is tomorrow, jobless claims, the uh, PMI or the Purchasing Managers Index reports are coming out on key economic data. Friday, new home sales and consumer sentiment. And so this week, companies, uh, notable companies reporting earnings Tuesday, we had Lennar. They had a really good print. Uh, they're doing really well. However, they indicated some weaker guidance uh, as there's some demand destruction for uh, mortgages and loans and things like that because of interest rates going up and home values being very expensive. So it's hard for folks to uh, get the down payment for the home as well as qualify for the loan and even want to pay a higher interest rate uh, right now, Wednesday or later on today, KB Homes or KBH is a ticker symbol. Thursday, FedEx, and then Darden Restaurants on Thursday as well. Um, so that kind of rounds out um, some of the some of the performance as of last week in the stock market. Hopefully, you guys found that informative and um, and interesting. Does anyone out there want to learn more about RMDs? Maybe this will help. You've spent decades contributing to your traditional IRA and 401k or similar employer-sponsored plan. So when it's time to tap into them, you'll want to manage your withdrawals carefully. Once you turn 72, you generally must start taking withdrawals called required minimum distributions or RMDs. From your traditional IRA and your 401k or employer-sponsored plan, your age and account balance determine your RMD each year. This year, the IRS life expectancy tables have been updated to reflect their, uh, longer lifespans, which results in lower annual RMDs. Lower RMDs can potentially benefit you in a few different ways. Because your withdrawals are generally taxable at your individual tax rate, the lower your RMDs, the lower your tax bill might be, and smaller RMDs will take a smaller bite out of your retirement accounts, allowing them to grow tax deferred for longer. Furthermore, lower RMDs may give you more control over your retirement income planning. By definition, requirements take away some of your freedom. RMDs require you to take certain amounts out regardless of whether or not you need it. In fact, if you withdraw less than the required minimum, the amount not withdrawn will be taxed at 50%. Ouch. Reducing those requirements can give you more flexibility and you're always free to withdraw more than the required minimum. So how about some strategies for managing RMDs? While the potentially lower RMDs may prove helpful, you might also look for other ways to help manage withdrawals, especially if you don't need them to meet your retirement income needs. Here are a few suggestions. Number one, Defer RMDs through employment. 
if you're still working and don't own more than 5% of the company, you typically don't have to take withdrawals from your current employer's plan. You might also be able to roll over old 401ks and traditional IRAs to your current employer's plan. And by doing so, defer required distributions on those balances until you're no longer working. Number two, roll your Roth 401k or similar employer-sponsored plan into a Roth IRA. Many employers offer a Roth option in which employees contribute after tax rather than pre-tax dollars to their plan. Earnings and withdrawals from a Roth 401k like those of a Roth IRA are tax-free. Provided you've had your account at least five years and you don't start uh, withdrawals until you're 59 and a half. However, Roth 401ks are subject to RMDs if you're no longer working for the employer, while Roth IRAs are not. So you could potentially eliminate those RMDs by rolling over your Roth 401k to a Roth IRA. Keep in mind though, that if you open a new Roth IRA to accept 401k rollover funds, you may incur a 10% tax penalty on the earnings portion, not the contributions, if you take withdrawals before five years have passed. But if you roll over a Roth 401k to a Roth IRA that you've had for at least five years and you're 59 and a half or older, you can take tax-free withdrawals immediately. It's called the five-year seasoning rule. Number three, take a qualified charitable distribution or a QCD. If you're at least 70 and a half, you can make a qualified charitable distribution or QCD, which involves moving money directly from your traditional IRA to a qualified charity. By taking a QCD, you can satisfy some or possibly all of your RMD for the year, and you can exclude them from your taxable income, which may reduce your income taxes. The maximum amount of QCDs that can be excluded is $100,000 per taxpayer per year. Number four, consider a Roth conversion. This tends to be a popular option. Over the years, you may have accumulated large sums of money in a traditional IRA or 401k, and your RMDs may be substantial, especially in your latter or later retirement years. Roth IRAs, on the other hand, are not subject to RMDs. Depending on your tax situation, you may want to consider converting a portion of your traditional retirement accounts each year to more effectively manage your income throughout retirement. Roth IRAs also offer the benefit of tax-free earnings if you're 59 and a half or older and you've had your account at least five years. So this strategy might be especially valuable if you plan to leave some of your Roth IRA assets to your heirs. However, when, when converting assets from your traditional IRA or 401k, you'll typically need to pay taxes on the converted funds in the year of the conversion. As a result, you should consult a tax professional before making any moves. One final thought, if you're considering a rollover or conversion strategy, keep in mind that you can't roll or convert any RMDs in the year that they're due. In other words, you must accept the RMD amount due that year. Traditional IRA and 401k balances above the RMD amount can be rolled over or converted. Finally, factor RMDs into your retirement plans. 
or financial plans, you might benefit from the potentially lower RMDs resulting from changes in the life expectancy tables and the options for managing your RMDs described above or in this podcast may also prove useful. But in any case, you probably need to factor in RMDs into your retirement income plans for many years to come. So if you have any questions specifically about your unique situation, please reach out to us at northboundwealthmanagement.com. You can go to contact us, send us a message, or shoot me an email or give me a call, 317-399-1107. My email is bfoster at northboundwealth.com. So I've been getting some emails, calls, and uh, in, in various conversations asking about stagflation. So what is stagflation? So I thought I'd read this article that I came across by the Investopedia team, um, and it was reviewed by Eric Estevez. Just want to say, if for those of you out there who are looking for a, a resource to look up financial um content, glossary, terms, resources. Another great uh, bookmark for your website is Investopedia, investopedia.com. So um, what is stagflation? Stagflation is characterized by slow economic growth and relatively high unemployment or economic stagnation, which is at the same time accompanied by rising prices, i.e. inflation. Stagflation can be alternatively defined as a period of inflation combined with a decline in gross domestic products. So uh, that first paragraph is excellent because um, it, it covers uh, what stagflation is, but there's something missing from the equation as it applies to today. So today, um, we don't have high unemployment. However, as you've seen lately over the last couple of weeks, more and more companies announcing layoffs. And so what you'll end up seeing is a, the unemployment rate going up, um, which will help basically contribute to the idea that we're in stagflation right now. So keep an eye on the unemployment rate um, because right now, oh, well, and the GDP print, so gross domestic product, if GDP is negative, then we've had, then we're in by definition a recession with two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. Um, but with a really tight labor market, which is really interesting, it kind of that that kind of supports the idea that we'll have a mild recession. Um, key takeaways regarding stagflation. So, um, so stagflation refers to an economy that is experiencing a simultaneously a simultaneous increase in inflation and stagnation of economic output. Stagflation was first. Uh, recognized during the 1970s when many developed economies experienced rapid inflation and high unemployment as a result of an oil shock. Huh, interesting. Oil's like, what, at 105 today? It was like 125 the other day. It's crazy how the volatility there. The prevailing economic theory at the time could not easily explain how stagflation could occur. Since the 1970s, rising price levels during periods of slow or negative economic growth have become somewhat of the norm rather than the exceptional situation. So understanding stagflation, the term stagflation was first used in the 1960s during a time of economic stress in the United Kingdom by politician Ian McLeod while he was speaking in the House of Commons. 
talking about inflation on one side and stagnation on the other, he called it stagflation situation. That's what he called it. It was later used again to describe the recessionary period between 1970s following the oil crisis when the U.S. underwent a recession that saw five quarters of negative GDP growth. Inflation doubled in 1973 and hit double digits in 1974. Unemployment hit 9% by 1975. Stagflation led to the emergence of the misery index. <laughs> this index, which is the simple sum of the inflation rate and unemployment rate, served as a tool to show just how badly people were feeling when stagflation hit the economy. So stagflation was long believed to be impossible because the economic theories that dominated academic and policy circles ruled it out of their models by construction. In particular, the economic theory of the Phillips curve, which developed in the context of the Keynesian economics, portrayed macroeconomic policy as a trade-off between unemployment and inflation. As a result of the Great Depression, the ascendance of Keynesian economics in the 20th century, economists became preoccupied with the dangers of deflation and argued that most policies designed or are designed to lower inflation tend to make it tougher for the unemployed and policies designed to ease unemployment raise inflation. The advent of stagflation across the developed world in the mid-20th century showed that this was not the case. As a result, stagflation is a great example of how real-world economic data can sometimes run roughshod over widely accepted economic theories and policy prescriptions. Since that time, as a rule, inflation persists as a general condition even during periods of slow or ec negative economic growth. In the past 50 years, every declared recession in the U.S. has seen a continuous year-over-year -year rise in the consumer price level. The sole partial exception to this is the lower point of the 2008 financial crisis, and even then price decline was confined to energy prices while overall consumer prices other than energy continue to rise. So because of the historical onset of stagflation represents the demise of dominant economic theories of that time, economists since then have put forth several arguments as to how stagflation occurs or how to redefine the terms of existing theories to explain it. So oil prices, this is one theory states that stagflation is caused when a sudden increase in the cost of oil reduces an economy's productive capacity. In October of 1973, the basically OPEC issued an embargo against Western countries. This caused the global price of oil to rise dramatically, therefore increasing the cost of goods and contributing to a rise in unemployment. Because transportation costs rose, producing products and getting them into shelves became more expensive and prices rose even as people were laid off. Critics of this theory point out that Sudden oil price shocks like those of the 1970s did not occur in connection with any of the simultaneous periods of inflation and recession that have occurred since then. So poor economic policies uh, and is kind of at the core. So another theory is that uh, co the confluence of stagflation and inflation are results of poorly made economic policy harsh regulation of markets, goods, and labor in otherwise inflationary environment are cited as possible causes of stagflation. Some point to former President Richard Nixon's policies, which may have led to the recession 
1970, a possible precursor to the period of stagflation. Doesn't that sound familiar? Nixon put tariffs on imports and froze wages and prices for 90 days to prevent prices from rising. Then sudden economic shock of oil shortages and rapid acceleration of price prices once uh, the controls were relaxed led to economic chaos. Hmm, sounds familiar. While appealing, like the previous theory, this is an ad hoc explanation of the stagflation in the 1970s, which has not explained the simultaneous rise in prices and unemployment that has, an un that has accompanying subsequent recessions up to the present. So here's another one, gold standard. The gold standard, those of you who know what that is. Other, other theories point to monetary factors that may also play a role in stagflation. Nixon removed the last indirect vestiges of the gold standard and brought down the Bretton Woods system of international finance. This removed commodity backing for the currency and put the US dollar and most other world currencies on a fiat basis ever since then ending most practical constraints on monetary expansion and currency devaluation. So we've got stagflation versus inflation. Proponents of monetary explanations of stagflation point to the ending of the gold standard and the countervailing historical record of extended periods of simultaneously de decreasing prices and low unemployment under strong commodity-backed currency systems. This would suggest that under an unbacked fiat monetary system in place since the 1970s, we should expect to see inflation persist during periods of economic stagnation, as has indeed been the case. Other economists, even before the 1970s, criticized the idea of a stable relationship between inflation and unemployment on the grounds of a consumer and producer expectations about the rate of inflation. Under these theories, people simply put their economic behavior to rising uh, price levels, either in reaction to or in expectation of monetary policy changes. As a result, price, prices rise throughout the economy in response to expansionary monetary policy without any corresponding decrease in unemployment, and unemployment rates can rise or fall based on real economic shocks to the economy. This implies that attempts to stimulate the economy during recessions could simply inflate prices while having little effect on promoting real economic growth. Urbanist and author Jane Jacobs saw the disagreements between economists on why the stagflation of the 70s occurred in the first place as a symptom of misplacing their scholarly focus on the nation as the primary economic engine as opposed to the city. She believed that to avoid the phenomenon of stagflation, a country needed to provide an incentive to develop, quote, import, uh, let's see, import replacing cities. That is cities that balance import with production. This idea essentially diversifying the economies of cities was critiqued for its lack of scholarship by some, but it held its weight with others. Special considerations. The de facto consensus on stagflation among most economists and poly policymakers has been to essentially redefine what they mean by the term of, quote, inflation in the modern era of modern currency and financial systems. 
Persistently rising price levels and falling purchasing power of money, example, inflation, are just assumed as basic background normal condition in the economy, which occurs both during periods of economic expansion and recessions. Economists and policymakers generally assume that prices will rise and largely focus on accelerating and decelerating inflation rather than on the inflation itself. The dramatic, excuse me, the dramatic episodes of stagflation in the 1970s may be a historical footnote today, but since then, simultaneous economic stagnation and rising price levels, in a sense, make up the new normal during economic downturns. So, why is stag stagflation bad? Stagflation is a contraction as slow economic growth would likely lead to an increase in unemployment but should not result in rising prices. This is why this phenomenon is considered bad. An increase in the unemployment level results in a decrease in the consumer spending in consumer spending power, so our ability to buy things. If you track on uh, runway inflation, that means that what the what money consumers have to have is losing value as time goes by. There is less money to spend, and the value of the money is is in decline. So there is no definitive cure for stagflation. The consensus among economists uh, is that productivity has to be increased to the point where it would lead higher lead to higher growth without additional inflation. This would then allow for the tightening of monetary policy to rein in inflation, the inflation component of stagflation. That is easier said than done. So the key to preventing stagflation is to be extremely proactive in avoiding it. So an example of stagflation is when a government prints currency, um, which would increase the money supply and create inflation, while raising taxes, which would slow economic growth resulting in stagflation. So what's interesting here in our uh, 2022 is that we have a Fed trying to get ahead or raise interest rates, get ahead of this stagflation uh, situation. Um, we have a tight labor market. We have rising prices. Oil is up. Um, the consumer's really getting hammered, especially uh, middle class to lower class folks, um, most of which that inflation is coming from uh, oil and energy prices. So um, the Fed is trying to slow down this economy so that, um, so that uh, you know, unemployment is likely to go up. But what they're trying to do is avoid this stagflation situation. So this was probably the, the one of the best articles that I've seen in regards to stagflation and what it is. And there's a historical context to it which I think is relevant to today. So um, hopefully we can all avoid stagflation and we can move through this period of time without going into a, a long duration uh, period of stagflation, but that's been the fear. So let's keep an eye on how things shake out over the next couple of years. And, uh, and hopefully you guys gleaned some new information from this article and what I thought would be relevant to cover uh, in the educational component this week. Hey, this is Brent Foster, CEO of Northbound Wealth Management. I'm really excited uh, to announce the Northbound Wealth Management Reading Guide. 
and it's a book club. Uh, and every year I'm going to put out um, a book list either for the year or maybe even twice a year. So um, where are you, where do you find the book list? Well, it is on my website, www.northboundwealth.com under the resource center header. That's the second drop down. It's called book club. And this year's uh, called the discover list 2022. So I'm super excited to announce that to you guys. Uh, those of you who like to read, I love to read and take in as much information as I can, analyze it, process it, and apply it to my life. I'm sure that all of you like to do the same to some degree or another, depending on the content. And uh, and so anyway, uh, without further ado, I'm going to just kind of walk through uh, the different books that are that I've selected that are on the list. So check it out. Um, the first book is The Changing World Order, Why Nations uh, Succeed and Fail by Ray Dalio. Um, he is a basically a billionaire. He tends to be in the camp of the bear market folks. So you just have to read, read it with, uh, with that bias in mind. Um, and so things are going to, uh, th they're very academic and, and he's, but also kind of bearish. Um, I won't speak to every book in here because I want to get through this rather quickly, but I'll run through the titles. Uh, AI 2041 by Chen Quifan. That's probably one that I want to read uh, right away. I'm excited about the developments of what it might look like for artificial intelligence uh, to 2041. Um, it, it's fascinating what's going on out there in, in that space. Uh, an entrepreneurial book called Resilient. Um, Savitri Wilson wrote that book. Check it out. Looks like it's really good. Uh, in Search of Van Gogh, and um, the, it's art collectors that really like art. I, I frankly, I love art. It's pretty awesome. Uh, written by some historians in art and experts in art. So check that book out. Business Leaders, The Heart of Business by Hubert, Hubert Jolly. Um, haven't read that one. Interested. And um, it's just offering up lessons uh, for leaders of today and tomorrow. Uh, a female women-inspired book, um, in, uh, Indra Nui, and she is the former chairman and CEO of PepsiCo. I hope I didn't butcher her name. I'm really bad with butchering names. I'm trying to get better at it. And it's called My Life in Full, Work, Family, and Our Future. So I'm uh, stoked about that book as well. Looking forward to reading it. Uh, Next Gen. Uh, the Practice of Groundedness by Brad Stolberg. Um, he was the co-author of Peak Performance. So uh, check that one out uh, if you are a next genner. And then just uh, one that's selected out of the stratosphere of options, <laughs> Jenny Smith's uh, eye-opening uh, book called Overloaded how every aspect of your life is influenced by your brain chemicals. Um, that one there is interesting as it kind of intersects between hormones and neurotransmitters and how the brain works. So um, it'll be interesting. Uh, that read will be interesting. So it's not quite 10. Um, there's others. I think maybe I kind of split the, the list up a little bit. I might 
launch the other one here this fall for those of you who want to continue on and join in on reading lists. Uh, feel free to submit uh, ideas, uh, books that you might think are very relevant to uh, to all of us and timely. So uh, anyway, that wraps that up. Uh, check it out. Resource Center Book Club on the website. This is a bit of a PSA or a public service announcement. Check it out. Save the date. It's the first annual Northbound Health, The Promise of Life Golf Outing sponsored by Northbound Wealth Management. So when is it? It is September 12th, 2022. Uh, the time is at 9 a.m. Eastern time. It's a shotgun start. Uh, the, we're playing the Sycamore course uh, at Eagle Creek Golf Club in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm really excited about this. It couldn't go towards a better uh, 501c3 nonprofit. All the proceeds raised from that event go to Northbound Health. Eagle Creek Golf Club is awesome as well. This, the, the, the Sycamore course is scenic and challenging. It'll definitely test your shots. And uh, it's a peat dye des uh, design, blends a mixture of hilly terrain, tree-lined fairways, and water holes with more traditional Lynx-style flavor. That adds exciting variety to this 6,646-yard championship layout. Make sure you bring your A-game for hole number 15 and the signature finishing hole of number 18, says Matt Parrott of Eagle Creek Golf Club. So... Here's the cost of a foursome. It's $600 uh, and it's $150 for a player without a team. So it's a scramble format, best ball, 18 hole, shotgun start, carts provided, driving range pri privileges for all players, unlimited beverages all day. So domestic beer, water, pop, and a traditional lunch, fried chicken, baked beans, potato salad, Fried biscuits with butter. There are prizes, cash prize for winning teams, rounds of golf with a cart for four proximity winners. There's contest hole winners, a hole-in-one winner, silent auction. It'll be really exciting. So um, if you own a business or work for a corporation where there are sponsorship opportunities available, we'd love to have your support. Please email uh, me if you're if you know me <laughs> on, on this side or uh, at bfoster at northboundwealth.com uh, to learn more about what corporate sponsor packages are out there. There's gold, silver, bronze, whole sponsors, hole-in-one sponsors and stuff like that. So um, again, all, all the donations and funds raised from the Promise of Life uh, golf outing will go to Northbound Health. You can visit them by going to their website, www.northboundhealth.org to learn more about uh, the great work that they're doing um, in in Indianapolis. And um, it, it's, it's life-changing. It's amazing what they're doing. So please check out their website and get familiar with them. But also most importantly, save the dates. I'm looking forward to seeing you all there. Um, and you'll hear more PSA announcements regarding the golf outing here on September 12th. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon.